This is Adam Lippi, writer, editor, publisher of RegrettableSincerity.com, and this is a Q&A that was recorded on April 9th after a screening of The Cabin in the Woods, and the Q&A was recorded with actor Fran Kranz, who plays uh, Marty, one of the lead characters and the resident stoner in the film. Cabin in the Woods is like a, is a new meta-horror comedy, kind of like if you made The Truman Show about a horror movie, and it's from producer Joss Whedon and uh, writer-director Drew Goddard. This is Goddard's first feature directing, and he also wrote Cloverfield, and he uh, wrote episodes of Angel and Buffy with Whedon. Now, throughout the uh, Q&A, Kranz is generally enthusiastic about the film, as he should be, and the interviewer, who I believe said she was from hitfix.com, leads Kranz into talking about the troubled distribution history of the film, because it was held back for three years while MGM went bankrupt, the anxiety over whether or not there would be a post-conversion 3D done on the film, and how the film has so many ideas that it would take a lot of explanation to spoil it, and that's true. Personally, I'm on board with most of what Brand had to say, though he's led a bit astray by some of the audience questions, such as uh, when he flounders while defending the generic feel of the film's title, which is sort of intentional that it's generic, and when he criticizes the Saw and Hostel franchises as mindless torture porn, which is questionable as reductive analysis of exploitation films, but also because Hostel Part 2 is a similarly astute analysis of horror film stereotypes, and a smart look behind the curtain of villainous motivations and because the Saw and Hostel franchises were distributed by Lionsgate, which is the same studio that France was so happy that they picked up The Cabin in the Woods because, quote, they get it. Regardless of Mr. Krenz's feelings on the film being unspoilable, the final question has Friend uh, revealing a few small secrets, but nothing overly detrimental. Sound quality, apart from some slight ambient noise in the first minute, is excellent, so please enjoy.
And that's what I think, I think there's a, like a, a, a good amount of nostalgia in Cabin in the Woods. You know, if you notice, it's kind of timeless. Uh, you know, we're not on cell phones and, you know, the, the, the control room, you know, there's, there's outdated technology in there. You know, there's weird, like, levers, weird old, it looks like the Death Star at times. Like, it's like very 80s, a lot of those glowing buttons. And, you know, I think that that's on purpose. And the, the wooden kind of panels of the, where they pull the switches for the blood to drain and, you know, there, I, I, I think it sort of exists sort of outside of, um, you know, any, any sort of specific time, which I think is uh, on purpose. And anyway, I, I, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, certainly, I think it's an awesome horror film, and I think it's going to, I hope it does, raises the bar a little bit and, uh, and, and makes everyone think twice before doing another one, at least. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of, it has to do with the genre, too, that, that spoilers and people talking about the movie ahead of time. We live in an internet era, it seems like, um, for a movie this kind of big and bigger beyond just genre, it's difficult to do this in a post-internet age, you know? Like, people are gonna talk about it, but at the same time, lovers of the genre are now gonna be able to see all those old, uh, older films, and they're gonna get some of the references, and they're gonna get, you know, is it, is it, do you think it's much harder nowadays to make a film with that much packed in it? Uh, in this kind of post-internet era, like, what are your issues with it? I, I have a, I have a, a lot of faith in that the movie can't get completely ruined. In the sense that I, I don't believe there's just one twist or one secret or, or you know, I, I think I'd have to sit here for a, a few minutes really and to to ruin this movie for you. You know what I mean? Like, I, and even then you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, like that movie sounds insane. I want to see it. And so I think. Maybe, maybe what we're dealing with is that you maybe we you do have to pack something so full and make it so dense and you know I don't know if it's too much for some people or if it gets over the top but I think maybe the, or my answer would be that I, I think it's almost kind of necessary if you're dealing in a sort of internet age where these things can be ruined or it's it, you know uh, you can find content online that you're not supposed to or whatever. Um, that it's important to sort of pack your movie full of these things. And you could tell someone one thing about the movie, and there's a lot more to tell. You know, I constantly forgetting about this sort of the merman love affair, you know? I mean, it's genius. And, like, you know, I, I, that's such a great uh, such a great little subplot. Or, or Japan. And, you know, there's all these things that I, I think, you know, I'm not too worried. I think there's a lot of sort of, um, we have a lot of, like, layers of defense about to, to spoil this movie, you know? But, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. But I... I for this film, can, can you talk a little bit about the fact that this film was made a couple I mean, this has been sitting around for a little yeah. bit. It was shelved for a little bit. There was some drama with MGM. And, and, and did, were you afraid that this would never come out? Or, or, or when were your, your hopes kind of revitalized? Yeah, no, I, I auditioned for this movie in 2008, you know, it's crazy. I was doing my first season of Dollhouse is where I met Joss, and I was doing, uh, it was like, it was like November 2008 or something when I auditioned for this, no joke. And so, yeah, it's been a long time, and I, I just thought the movie was so great that I, I really didn't lose faith in it, but I do know that every, a lot of other people did. And so I was kind of like the crazy guy that still was holding on to Cabin in the Woods, you know, and... Because I, I had so much, or, or I, I just had a high hopes for the movie, you know, I believed it was a really great role for me, and, uh, and I, th I believed it was a great movie, and I couldn't help myself, you know, you, you get, you got an opportunity like this, and you do think ahead, you know, and I, I, as an actor, you know, I thought, man, oh, God, this movie could, 
you know, be good for my career, you know, and so it was, you know, it was obviously a, a hard sort of thing, a hard sort of journey that we went on, but I do think we ended up in the right place, and, you know, I, at the end of the day, honestly, like nowadays, seeing all these posters around town, and the previews, and talking about it, doing this, and with you guys, and it, it really does sort of start to feel like it was yesterday, and it was a wonderful experience, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't let go of it to the point that I was, I literally, my parents and friends were like, poor Fran, he's still talking about Kevin in the Woods. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like kind of embarrassing, but, uh, <laughs> I so, but I, I, I just, I just knew it was too good. I just couldn't believe it really, really go away. And then I, I, I got, I got the news in slow succession, you know, that, uh, you know, I heard about Lionsgate and I had a friend working at Lionsgate and. She was like, oh my god, they love it, everyone's freaking out, and, and, and it was this kind of slow period of validation, and, you know, that kind of sweet revenge for the sort of years that, you know, people were like, nothing's going to happen, and I was like, no, it's going to happen, and it's awesome, and now you guys, you know, I've seen people love it, and it, it is it's very satisfying, it's very, it's very satisfying. Part of what the debate was when this was going to be put back into theaters was that there was going to be a 3D conversion yeah. to it. What were your feelings hearing that? Did it leave a sour taste in your mouth when it was, you know, it was box office politics going into 3D and the whole thing? What were your feelings on 3D, and, and do you think that this film should have been in 3D? Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was, it was, uh, we were all pretty heartbroken about that. Um, Drew especially, and Joss, I, you know, I think Joss at that point was already getting ready to do Avengers, and he was dealing with the 3D of that, and I remember he said that, he was doing screen tests and just immediately was like, converted, I can't deal, you know, none of us were 3D fans. But Cabin in the Woods has no business being 3D, especially, you know, given what I said earlier, that it, 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 it's, it's a sort of nostalgic piece, it's an ode to horror films, it's a tribute piece, it's like an homage, and you know, it loves these classes. It's got no business being in 3D, and, and also like, what are you gonna, you know, outside of the last 20 minutes, you know, I don't know what the hell you're supposed to get out of the 3D, you know, it'd be just annoying, you know, wearing those glasses the first hour, you know, I don't get it. I know Jules' head would fly in your face and, like, you know, get some pot smoke and, like, I, there's elements, but it seemed crazy that to the point that I actually believed it was MGM's way of stalling, you know, just saying that everything's fine here, uh, we're just making the movie 3D, when in fact, you know, they, they eventually they filed for bankruptcy, so, uh, um, that was that was my theory because it just seems so backwards with everything that uh, you know. But I don't know. I don't know if it was true or not. I still to this day, you know, they don't tell the actors anything. And um, but I do know when it got to Lionsgate, the people at Lionsgate said 3D. That's insane. This movie has, this, you know, and we you know we knew we were in the right place. And there were certain things, uh, certain scenes cut from the MGM cut, certain scenes cut from the original cut that they were brought back. It just we I know we're in the right hands. We're in the uh, with the studio that gets the film, and that's important. But yeah, no, I I, I mean I love like Avatar, you know. But uh, but certain times like I like seeing a movie that comes out in 3D and 2D because I'm, I'm more about like like Toy Story for example. I like the Toy Story movies, and I just kind of didn't want to deal with the glasses, so I saw it in 2D. You know, like uh, certain things I'm not. Uh, I don't get up for the 3D thing for I just figured Avatar, that's like what it was all about, and I enjoyed that, but, you know, this, this movie, uh, that's insane, it's crazy. Now, you've worked with Joss on several different projects. What was it like working with him on this in particular, and him and, and Drew together, um, what do you think that their voices kind of bring into this big of a film? You know, uh, uh, Joss really took, uh, uh, took the sidelines for this. You know, he, you know, I was working with him 
and I knew about the movie. I heard Joss was, Joss was doing this horror film with Drew Goddard, and I hadn't met Drew, and one day Drew Goddard came to the Dollhouse set, and um, you know he was t talking to Joss about possible locations, and I, I was a big horror film fan, so I was like, oh, let me see. <laughs> and uh, they, one of them was the Camp Crystal Lake from the original Friday the 13th, and I was like, you gotta do that. That's so cool. Like, uh, and I'm a big horror film fan. I was like, I love, you know, Friday the 13th. And, you know, a ways down the road, I realized that he actually had Drew come to the set that day to meet me. That he said, like, I think I got a guy from Marty I'm oh, that I'm working with. And uh, so I had no idea. And it was uh, probably a blessing that I was geeking out the way I did. But, you know, that, that literally, like, you know, Joss was sort of there. But he wasn't, he wasn't a real active voice on set. You know, he, he respected Drew's position as director. And Drew is such a fan, such a, a horror film fan, film lover, cinephile, whatever. He's so passionate that it was really contagious. You know, the guy was inspiring to be around and, and, and you know, the, giving us all those horror films at the beginning of the, the filming, you know, the, to give us the homework, but also the kind of inspiration of like, hey, we're, we want to make one as good as these. Like, we want to be in the canon of great horror films. Like, this is what we're, this is our goal. Uh, and then, you know, there'd be days where, you know, the zombies would be eating guts, and he'd yell cut and be like, you're doing it wrong, and like, get in there and start eating intestines, and be like, it's like this, you know, and like, he, he was, he was so hands-on, and, and, and so, so, so in love with this movie and this project that, um, it was contagious, and, you know, I, we sort of fed off each other, because it gets exhausting, and, and I needed Drew's positivity to sort of stay with it because it you know yeah it's a lot of time horror films it's kind of a thankless genre but it's hard work you know it really is you know the 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 late nights and the, the blood and the gore and then you're just running around and like you know if you if you really want to sell it you get exhausted you know it's tough and he was tireless you know and that was inspiring and that kept me going but for, honestly for the most part joss um he was there i would say every day I mean, he literally would stand behind Drew, you know what I mean? We'd be at the video monitors, and Drew would be right in there, and Joss would be back there. That's not to say he didn't, you know, do much. He was he filmed a lot of second unit stuff, a lot of the video monitors you see in the, the final act, kind of with all the chaos going on. Joss did a lot of that. Um, you know, he was the second unit director. Um, and, you know, he was, you know, he was there, but he, he wasn't in my auditions until my final audition where at that point I knew they wanted me for the role. It was just about us making a tape for the studio. That was the only time Josh showed up because for the most part he felt, and he told me this, he was like, I don't want to be a distraction. Like, we're working on Dollhouse and Drew's the director and, you know, there. And so I, I was very impressed with, you know, you know Josh's, um, he's so hands-on with a lot of his stuff, but for this he really, uh, I really respected Drew's authority. Which was really, which was cool, you know. So I, I feel like I did a movie with Drew Goddard more than I, I uh, did another movie or, you know, job with Jobs. I hear you had to basically go to pot class to learn all about pot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth was like learning how to ride a motorcycle. Jesse and Kristen had to do scuba diving lessons for the underwater stuff. They, you you got to do because you're underwater so long, whatever. Anyway, I don't know. I didn't go to those lessons. Uh, <laughs> And then I had to go to like pot school. Yeah, I just rolled joints for like hours a day. I'd smoke different types of fake weed. I had to do, I had to learn the bong contraption. I had to, we had to, we developed it. It took a long time to develop that thing. You know, it was a prototype, supposedly cost like 5,000 bucks. I uh, had lots of little different pipes. It was just a long, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a joke. I mean, it was a joke, it was ridiculous. Uh, and I would bring this stuff home with me. So my hotel room, we were in Vancouver and I was on location or whatever. 
and I just had uh, like a pound of weed for what it looked like in my hotel room and just joints and paraphernalia everywhere. And I feel like I would have been arrested if it wasn't like British Columbia, you know, they were like, oh, it's fine. But uh, <laughs> it was insane. But yeah, no, I, I, it's unfortunately I still am not very good at rolling joints. You know? But uh, it was, yeah, no, I did. I, I, uh, I did a lot of that. You know? Yeah, take it with you to the next pot. The question is, how do you feel about remakes? Remakes, classic horror film. I guess I don't get that excited for it. Um, I just saw they're doing Total Recall with Colin Farrell. <laughs> my instinct is, my just gut reaction is, I'm still gonna like the Schwarzenegger version more. I don't know. I don't get that excited for that. I just think, uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I certainly saw the Dawn of the Dead, and they made the zombies run. But they already did that in 28 Days Later, so I was like, screw you, that's not new. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I just think, I think originality is always going to trump anything else. You know what I mean? I think that, and that's what I love about someone like Joss Whedon. I think he always has some a kind of a original, different take on something. And uh, and as a creative person, or as, you know, I think I think you know people that are really creative or artists that are very passionate. I always want to be on some on a, a part of something that's new and different and pushing boundaries and, and and the envelope and being original. I think that's sort of that's what you want. You know, that's what you want to be known for. I think you know. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know. I. Uh, I, I, I there's a lot. There's plenty of good. There's plenty of good sequels, and I'm not going to say that remakes are just like just bad by definition, I'm sure. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I didn't see the Halloween. And Psycho you could, was pretty bad. Psycho I don't understand, and Funny Games I don't understand. Or Funny Games I really don't understand. Because that guy, what, sorry, that pissed me off. Because that first movie's amazing. And then it's, it's one thing for Gus Van Zandt to do Psycho, because maybe he just wants to like, you know, get in Hitchcock's body, like literally. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, but maybe he's just like a little weird for Hitchcock. I, I don't know. And maybe there was some kind of like, sort of, maybe he got something out of that. But for Michael Haneke to remake Funny Games just in English just seemed like marketing. It just seemed kind of a sellout to me. Because um, I think he's so brilliant. And like, just just be happy with your German-Austrian version, whatever the whatever it is. You know, like, like, that was so unnecessary. Even if he got movie stars, it just felt like, he was doing it to get some movie stars and get a little more money or something. I just don't get that. Yeah, so, I don't know. So yeah, no, I'm clearly now I'm getting like worked up. Uh, no, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I just think that there's so many creative, amazing people and like, uh, you know, it, it blows my mind. The sort of just new material and new talent that you discover every day, especially now when it, you know you kind of have it, have the, the playing field leveled with the internet and you're just sort of, you're constantly humbled by like, oh my God this guy, I just heard this guy's brilliant and blah blah blah, and I'm, I'm always going to see something new over something something else, and yeah, I mean, Cat of the Woods is like, looks and sounds and smells like Evil Dead all over the place, but, you know, it's, I think it's different, I think it's original, I think it's got a lot of new stuff to offer, but, um, you know, draws on old stuff, which I, which, you know, I'm okay with, Cat of the Woods is fine, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I guess so, yeah, yeah. Right there. What is your take on like the title not really explaining the full movie? Because when I first seen the title, I was like, Kevin Woods, oh, Jamal Kevin in the woods. I know, I know, right? I mean, well, I mean, I think that it, I think in many ways that like, that's you know that's the point. You know, like uh, like here here's this movie you think you've seen before, and and we're gonna take you someplace totally different. But then then again, it's like. You know, there, and that's a totally honest, like, a very real reaction of, like, I don't want to see that movie. Like, screw that movie. I've seen that a million times. And uh, 
So there is a kind of, there's, there's sort of a potential danger in that, and, and I get that, and I, I, it, it hasn't necessarily really worried me, um, but, but now, I guess now that it's like crunch time and we open and we come out open, <laughs> uh, I guess we do, right? Uh, sorry, it just sounds like a play. Um, we're, we're coming out Friday and like, you know, now all of a sudden I get worried, I hope everyone likes it, I hope people see it, but, you know, it's this generic title that... You know, I, maybe if you don't pay it close enough attention, yeah, you will just say, I, I don't want to go see that. Are they joking? You know, but um, uh, but I think that is sort of, I think that is sort of the joke. But also, yeah, it is, it is about a cabin in the woods, you know. It's, uh, it's there's just like a giant basement, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I always bought into it, you know, because for some reason, it, it still intrigues me. It, you know, the story's still... The story's still like, you know, I have my ears perked up, you know, I, I still, it's, it's old, it's been done, it's outplayed, I guess, but it, I still think, I'm down to go see that, you know, it's kids, cabin in the woods, and young people, and it's, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and then some bad stuff happens, and like, I still will go see that movie, and when I read the script, you know, I, uh, even before, you know, well before stuff got crazy, I was already so on board, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, even when, before I read the script, even when I heard Joss and Drew were making a movie called Cabin in the Woods, I, I never actually came up to them and was like, I'm dying to be in your movie, but I was dying to be in that movie, you know? When I got the audition, even though Joss had never mentioned it to me, when I saw, I got an email from my agents, and I was like, oh, sweet, but it was also still so weird, because I was working with the guy, and he never brought it up, but, you know, I still think... It's a, it's a thing people will go see, and they'll go disappear in the theater and go on dates and go with their friends, and it's still, it's something that young, it's a genre or a trope or a, a setting that young people, I think, still still are drawn to, you know? Um, but then we, we give you so much more. I think we really do. So, I, you know, I, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I haven't thought about it in a while because now, you know, it's been so long, the title, like, means nothing to me. It's like I've said it a million times. Uh, it's like not even a language. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, yeah, it's a very generic title, and maybe some people are dismissing it because of that. But I don't know. I hope not. And it's, that's up to you guys. Spread the word, you know. Yep. Yeah, time for one more question. From the original script going into production, were there any major changes to the plot, specifically the ending, um, that were changed? Yeah, I know. I honestly not at all. Like I, I know. I, I wish I could tell you something really interesting. Uh, that script was so good, and like not a like not a word. I, I honestly, if only things that happened were were little trimmings. You know, there was some little things like when when Dana finds out she's the virgin. I'm like, dude, she's a homewrecker because she's been sleeping with her teacher. And at that point, the teacher had a family, and basically they sort of found that. That to make her an actual home wrecker, to make him have a family and make her involved, and that was actually like a little sordid, and like you know that wasn't necessary. So they cut the lines of him having a wife and kid. So it was just a teacher sleeping with a student, which was a little easier to deal with, you know. He wasn't married with children, and so then my line didn't make any sense, dude. She's a home wrecker, and actually it ends up being a way stronger joke when she's like, virgin, me, and then Sigourney Weaver says, we work with what we have. It, it actually, it's a, it, it gets a way bigger laugh than I think it ever would when I was like, dude, she's a homewrecker. Um, and there, there was other little things, I'm trying to think, there was little, little pieces here and there. I had a line about my pot where I'm like, this is the secret, oh no, <laughs> uh, Jules, Anna Hutchinson says, Marty, is that your secret stash when I'm rolling joints in the RV? 
And I'm like, no, 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 this is my secret, secret stash. This is a stash my other stash doesn't know about because they're jealous. <laughs> Which was kind of great because, like, I, I sort of said it seriously because I was so high and I believed that. And I just, like, we gets jealous of each other, you know? But, uh, but then that actually played a plot point because they didn't know about my secret, secret stash and they didn't treat it. And I'm actually smoking weed that they didn't treat. And that's what sort of keeps me immune to their drugs and uh, manipulating us in the cabin. And I, I don't know why they didn't cut that, cause I, why they did, because I actually thought that was pretty cool. Um, but maybe they just sort of felt like it was kind of, uh, just sort of hitting on the pot too heavily, and like it was just sort of a little more confusing than necessary, and that it's fine, it could just be really good weed. Because they say, like, we treated the shit out of that pot, and I think it's just Marty gets the best weed. You know, uh, you know, he just gets really, really good stuff. And uh, but so, but yeah, little things like that, nothing major, because the script, like honestly, I, it's one of the best scripts that I ever read. And like, you, you know, I'm a fan of the genre, but structurally, like, I just think I think screenwriters can appreciate the script the way it moves. You know, I mean, it ends with a climax. You know, it, it, it structurally, it's a little odd, it's a little out there, but it, it moves so well, it escalates so well. You're you know, and like I said, like it's not just one twist. You know, it's so many, and it, 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 you you figure it out as you go along. And, and it's not like the movie's trying to hide anything from you. The first scenes, uh, Jenkins and Whitford. You know, the first scene is like this is not your typical movie. So you you, you as an audience, you don't feel like you're trying to figure something. You, you you're trying to figure something out, but you don't feel like you're being withheld. Anything, any information's being withheld. You know, you're just sort of along for a ride. And, you get little tidbits along the way, and you're like, oh my god, this is weird, this is crazy, and then it kind of moves, and it's wonderful. Um, so it was, kind of, it was kind of brilliantly written, whether you like horror films or not, and uh, we didn't have to change much. Um, I will say that the Japanese subplot was removed at one point, and I'm really glad it's back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.